come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The podcast. From outer space. Now, how about a psychedelic party? Party, 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 party? And welcome back, everybody. It's the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Teabag in the house tonight. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Peace and love, everybody. And, you know, just before we get into things tonight, I'd like to give a special shout-out to Ember and Pine Company. They are a Washington, that's Washington State folks, based candle company, and you can find them at emberandpineco.com. And if you're following us on Instagram, we're also following them, so, you know, go check them out. Grab yourself a nice little uh, candle for that fall weather that's rolling in, baby. Teabag scent coming soon. Teabag signature <laughs> scent. Teabag zone. A little bit of for Monday in there. Hopefully not. That sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> now we are back and ready to get psychedelic once again as we continue our series on MK Ultra. Now, guys, I'm going to be honest here. I think I blacked out last episode. Blackout drunk? Yes, because as you said, Captain got the best of me. I was editing, and I, I do not remember saying some of this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> This is part two? This is part two. Blacked out in part one, uh, drinking way too much Crystal Head vodka. I thought you, you were drinking the Captain. Well, it was a mix. So, <laughs> and, Oh, jeez. You know, I accidentally bought non-alcoholic beer last week, and I didn't notice until I was on the last bottle. <laughs> 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 just didn't uh, read the label at I all? just didn't, you know, and I'm thinking uh, it's the same pack I always go for. It was in the same spot. I Figured thought, yeah, f- fuck it, you know, grab it up. And same it, one you always go for. Yeah, St. Pauli's Girl, and then it's fucking non-alcoholic. I thought you just recently started drinking that stuff. Oh, no, no, no. This was the first beer I ever took a sip of. Um, yeah, I'm aware. I'm saying... So it's nostalgic <laughs> for me. But anyways, yes, I did. I grabbed a pack, and it's where it normally is, but it was not alcoholic I didn't know until I was on the last beer. So what? So you just like the taste of it. It's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, now, nonetheless... Drinking for the flavor, not the effects. Exactly. Now, in our last episode, we discuss some precursor programs um, that began in World War II with a goal to find a truth drug, quote-unquote, uh, as well as the start of MK Ultra, the discovery of LSD, uh, the CIA dosing each other at the office, and the unfortunate and sad case of Dr. Frank Olson. Now, you guys remember last episode? You have a good handle on that? You could say I do. Maybe my handle got thrown out of a 10-story window. Check out that episode if you haven't already, and go ahead and uh, put some LSD in your friend's drinks. Get a good laugh about that. And then maybe get them all to subscribe and give us a five-star review while you're at it. Now, in this episode, we are going to take a look at just how widespread these LSD tests were. We'll get into some downright spine-chilling, hair-raising, and frankly, honestly, shocking experiments. And we'll discuss what's known as the trickle-down acid effect, we'll call it, TDAE. Um, this is a little Reaganomics on LSD for you. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd be getting political, huh? So, okay, last episode, you remember the characters, uh, Sid Gottlieb, Frank Olson, the TSS guys, the OSS guys? 
I do remember those. Okay, so so long before the Frank Olsen case, um, Sid Gottlieb, the uh, head, I guess, TSS, CIA henchman, he's, he's looking into some of the older OSS-type stuff for inspiration, ideas. And we're not talking out-of-school suspension here, folks. Yeah, because uh, in the beginning... Uh, Sid and the MK Ultra guys—they're still trying to find the best "quote unquote" test subjects because they knew they're they, what they were doing could come back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, know? this guy probably should have, you know, changed his name to Sid. Got one. Yes, you made the joke last week. We hey, speaking of hey, just again, you know, what if they didn't listen to the last one? What if they're just hearing this one? This is the first time they're tuning in. What did Mike Tyson say to the female astronaut? What did he say? Hey, girl, that acid out of this world. <laughs> okay, so so what they, they knew that what they were doing could bite them in the ass. Um, so Figuratively, num- guys, figuratively. So number one, number one, they contemplated having local police dose criminals, suspects, informants, uh, but ultimately they figured some politician would find out they'd be fucked. <laughs> Uh, can't do that. Typical. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> why so a bunch of fucking bureaucracy. So Sid comes across the uh, the OSS experiment from back in the '40s, where the OSS is smoking spliffs with the uh, wise guy, um, Del Gracio. You remember this from last episode? Yep. Yep. Okay, and he's given secrets about the drug trade. So he comes across this, and he's like, "Hey, this is perfect because this guy's in the mob. He's a criminal." Smoking spliffs is a daily routine. N- not only that, but it, if he, you know, he, he's not going to go to the police, right? Mm. Isn't that a line in Goodfellas, you know? You know? What, what, what Paulie and the organization did, they're like the police for wise guys, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the wise guys aren't going to go to the police, right? That's true. So you on the same track as Sid? I'm tracking. Now, obviously, these guys did have some brains on their shoulders. Uh, is that the right phrase? Brains on their brains shoulders. On their sh- <laughs> Have you heard of that? <laughs> what is it? Brains in their head? Good, good head on your shoulders. Or their uh, shoes were screwed on too tight? <laughs> what? What? what are you trying to say? <laughs> like they had they had their wits about them. Yeah. Got a good head on good your head shoulders. Good head on your shoulders. Okay, Not yeah. Good now, brains okay. on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't that's sound right when I was writing. Your wife about. So these guys, you know, they had a good head on their shoulders because they, they knew they couldn't just start dosing the mob, right? Mm. You know, that's not good science. <laughs> um, so they figure, we need people that live on the cusp of the criminal world, you know? Small-time guys, con men, pushers, pimps, prostitutes, drug addicts, you know? Because mm. uh, who are they going to tell? Maybe a fish. <laughs> exactly. And he, and this was their <clears throat> this became the CIA's whole rationale was like, even if they did tell anybody, who's gonna believe them? Mm. A and B, the CIA did this weird justification here in that they figured this was okay because if one of them ever found out they'd been dosed, they'd just chalk it up to an occupational hazard. Oh I I've been slipped a Mickey again. Oh, here we go again, you know. CIA figure this was run-of-the-mill stuff for these people. Uh, go ahead, sign this waiver so it's okay for us to give you LSD. Well, no, they. this is not even signing the waiver. This is just dosing people. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, so they tracked down... So Sid Gottlieb, he tracks down this guy, George Hunter White himself. Now, you remember this guy from the last episode? He did the cigarette stuff. He poured the liquid THC over charcoal until he passed out. Mm. Um... 
Now, j- here, just for some perspective, this guy is about 5'7", 200-plus pounds, shaved head, and is described as looking like a menacing bowling ball. <laughs> now, I, I picture that guy from The Shield, you know? He looks like Kingpin from the Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This guy is exactly like Kingpin, the guy from The Shield. Um, Maybe a bit of uh, Hitchcock in there? Mm. Well, we don't want to slander Hitchcock. <laughs> well, you're going to slander the actor from The Shield. <laughs> yeah, he's, a play, he's playing a cop. Nobody likes cops, right? Oh. Wow, dude. <laughs> so, so George... Not this, getting political, huh? So, George, this guy's a classic cop. You know, he loved the fame of being put in the paper for a big drug bust. Uh, he knew how to, quote-unquote, milk a case for all it was worth. I guess he would, like, take a lot of credit for uh, drug busts and cases. He's a real milk champ, is what you're saying? Oh, yeah. They called him the milk dud because of his shiny head. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Now, obviously, George developed his fair share of enemies inside and outside of law enforcement. And um, he had actually left OSS after World War II and began working for the Narcotics Bureau in New York. Now, Sid meets with this guy, and he's like, hey, loved what you were doing back in the OSS days. Uh, Would you be willing to come and work for the agency doing similar stuff? Basically, here's how it goes. You just keep working for the Narcotics Bureau. You've got access to all these criminals. You just dose them, see what info you can get out of them. And if it helps you information, get information for your job, win-win. You know, just report the effects of dosing them to us. Mm. So sounds like a pretty sweet deal, right? How do I get this job? <laughs> now, you want the job of dosing people? Well, number okay. one, you got to look like a menacing bowling ball. <laughs> yeah. No, you got to bulk. You're going to have to bulk up a little bit and get a job at the Narcotics Bureau, which is, I guess, the DEA now. Mm. Now, George was just the kind of guy Sid needed because he truly believed the ends justified the means. Which, if we break that down, that's like... um. As long as you get the outcome you're going for, it doesn't matter how you get there, right? Like karma, kind of? You get what you got coming to you? No, not karma. Like, it's like, um... What goes around is all around. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Do you guys not know the saying, ends justifies the means? It's like the CIA. Like, they're searching for a mind control drug, and they don't care how they get it, even if they have to dose innocent people. Yeah, as long as they get it. Doesn't matter what they got to do to get there. Yeah, that's that's kind of what that is, okay. right? Okay. okay. CIA end game. Yeah, we're all learning something <laughs> today. So Sid oh, finds the perfect candidate in George. Uh, now him and Sid even became regular pals that would often go folk dancing with one another. That's a normal thing for a couple of guys <laughs> to do. They dance with each other, or they go and pick up chicks. I don't know what I. When they I dance think, with the devil in the pale moonlight. <laughs> yeah, when I think of folk <laughs> dancing, I'm thinking of like Jesco White huffing gasoline and dancing on the picnic table in that uh, West Virginia documentary. <laughs> you know what I'm talking oh about? <laughs> I think these guys are doing that. I mean, these are a couple of CIA country guys. As we said, Sid was out of his fucking mind. They're in New York, though, right? <laughs> yeah, they're in New York at this point. Um, so starting in 1952, George White signs on for MK Ultra Subproject Number 3, and under this ruse, George posed as merchant seaman slash bohemian artist Morgan Hall. Mm. Mm. That explains the folk dancing. Yeah. And uh, this became one of the most baffling of all the MK Ultra projects. Uh, now hear me out here, because this project was basically 
a web of CIA-run safe houses in New York City, and this operation eventually expanded to San Francisco and Marin County, California. Now, this operation, George would basically assemble a team of sex workers. Uh, They would receive $100 a night and were guaranteed protection from police harassment. So he would give them, like, little chits, like, I guess, get-out-of-jail-free cards, (laughs) you know? Mm. This was this probably where Monopoly got the idea. <laughs> and they would be able to just Jesus give these Christ. to the cops that they got in trouble, and boom, they're out of jail. And on top of that, they're getting 100 bucks a night. Now, now, how much is that in uh, today's money? Uh, so it's like $900. Not bad. Yeah, so close to $1,000. It's like Leo picking up Jennifer Garner. Yeah, and a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now <laughs> that's the kicker. Yeah. Now what now what these sex workers would do is they would bring men back to the CIA safe house. They would dose them with LSD and George would sit in an adjoining apartment while watching through a two-way mirror to see what information they could get. Oh, this guy's a cuck. <laughs> I mean, I kind of if you think about it. Now this now started out Now he was just listening, quote unquote. Right? And watching. It's not his wife. Is it two-way mirror or one-way mirror, or is it the same thing? I think it's... Wouldn't a two-way mirror be like a sheet of glass? No, two-way is like where it looks like a mirror to you, but then, but on, then the on the other, other side, side they can see through. It. But to you, it just looks like a mirror, and you would never know. It was just so that's what w- this was. It was just one way. That's just a mirror. Okay, <laughs> I don't never know. never know. And so it starts out... He'll never know, apparently. Starts out, we got two Greenwich Village apartments. Uh, These were safe houses, and they could lure test subjects back, slip them drugs, report the results directly to Sid. Now, these safe houses were up and running for about six months when Olsen, when the whole, like, Olsen incident came about. Perfect. Um, And, you know, this kind of brought a halt to everything. As we said, Sid was, you know, he was worried. Um, He told George, hey, let's hit pause until this whole thing blows over. Let's go catch Um, a Bob Dylan concert, maybe do some folk dancing. Yeah, do some (laughs) folk dancing. Now, in that time frame, George is transferred to San Francisco, and he picks right back up with this safe house operation without worrying about the heat on them in New York. Uh, so he rents a place on Telegraph Hill in San Francisco with a great view for the West Coast safe house. Now, let me get let me get this straight. These uh, ladies of the evening would bring back unsuspecting gentlemen. Yes, they were called Johns. Johns, oh, go figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're not a John. Okay, so they bring these Johns back. To, oh, that's where the slang word comes from, right? Yeah. What? I mean, maybe I think it was before this time period, but yeah, a John is just like an unidentified guy. I thought like no, a I'm Mark. Like, oh, I'm talking like John, like a cute girl, a hot girl, a John. That's a Philly. That's word. a Philly thing. That's J J A W N. Yeah, yeah, that's like a Philly thing, dude. Oh okay, yeah, yeah. That anyway, refers so, to anything, also. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so they bring these Johns J O H Ns back to these apartments, and these dudes are expecting to get laid. Instead and they're they just like dropping and acid. jerked off on But they still get hey, they still get laid. They're just on acid. I'm just saying, like, if I went to some girl's house expecting to get laid and I'm getting dosed with acid, I don't know how I feel about that. You're getting dosed with acid and getting laid. This could be a, a mind-altering experience for you. It could be. 
They're not taking away. You're still getting a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You're rolling the dice. I feel like it could be like the movie Teeth. You know. Oh. Um. Yeah. So that's how the operation would go. Now, keep in mind, the CIA is footing the bill for all of this stuff. So this included monthly rent of the apartment, keeping the liquor cabinet fully stocked, which eventually CIA auditors discovered was in the neighborhood of $1,000 a month in bills with no explanation to the alcohol's use. Perfect. <laughs> Some other, <laughs> other charges included $44 for a telescope and $31. For what? <laughs> exactly. These guys fucking astronomers now. <laughs> Some scientists. <laughs> and $31 to make a payment to a lady in the neighborhood whose car he hit in order to, quote unquote, maintain security. So he just, George just hits some lady's car in the neighborhood, pays her off. He's probably high as fuck. Yeah, no, he's probably <laughs> drunk because this guy was a raging alcoholic. Thousand dollars a month in alcohol, dude. And that's in nineteen fifty two. So that's probably like ten thousand today. Now, okay, now here's the real kicker, okay? Because George also went and brought and bought now Rob, you're French. How do you say this? (laughs) Or you've taken a lot of French, you know? I'm French. You've taken a lot of French stuff. How do you say this? Uh, the Toulouse Lautrec posters. So George went out and bought a bunch of Toulouse Lautrec posters uh however you say that you know not french i don't have the french twang uh he bought posters of french can-can dancers and posters of women in black stockings to give the place that high class brothel feel yes sir (laughs) nothing says high class (laughs) (laughs) like french posters on your wall Yeah. Are they at the fucking Moulin Rouge? (laughs) Exactly. This is his fucking thought process of like, how do I make this place more high class? And he (laughs) he just... Yeah, so you get a couple of posters from Paris, hang them on the wall there. Um, That's one of those ones where he got drunk and just ordered a bunch of shit, and then the next week was like, oh, man, when did I get these? Oh, can't let them go to the waste. Yeah, this is what I imagine. This guy is like Cousin Eddie from uh, Christmas (laughs) Vacation working for the CIA. Like... (laughs) That's going to look real (laughs) nice on the wall there, That is going to be real nice. Uh, Now, so he's got the SF safe house up and running, um, and he starts procuring surveillance equipment. So this is mics, uh, two-way mirrors, cameras, tape recorders. Uh, Now, for George's own personal observational area, he had a two-way mirror with a portable toilet behind it so he could sit and observe with drink in hand. Yes. So these guys were 100% gay. Well, this is just George. He's running this whole thing. The other guy's back in Sid's Greenwich back, yes. Village. No, Sid, he, but he's not doing any of the safe houses. He just is okayed this stuff. Wasn't Sid, he running it in New York or no? He, he hired George to run it. Now, remember, George got transferred, mm. so he sets up the SF1, but they still had other guys running the New York one. Sid's gotcha, like gotcha, the Mac gotcha. daddy. He's just, uh, he's just stamping approval on all this stuff. And actually coming up with a lot of it. George is a peeping Tom. Yeah, that's that's He's coming George, a lot yeah. too. George, yeah. So uh yeah, because this guy was a fucking maniac in his own right. Now, um the guy installing all of the equipment, who was just a friend of George's, no CIA connection. 
So that's like friend, has huh? to pay off a lady in the neighborhood to maintain security, but just hires his friend to install all this. Cr- like, imagine you go to your friend's house to install a two way mirror with a toilet, mics, recording equipment. <laughs> like, hey, what's all this stuff for? You know. <laughs> Just put it up, all right? Don't ask questions. <laughs> man, he's picking up Moulin Rouge posters to put all over the place. Um, so the guy is installing all this equipment, and he noted that George kept a pitcher of martinis in the fridge. Sounds like Adam. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can we just talk about that? Because a martini is not something you go get a pitcher of. A martini is just vo- it's just either vodka or gin with like. A splash of um, what, what do you call it? What's the stuff? Vermouth. Yeah. Vermouth. A little olive. olive in there. Yeah. So he just has a picture of pre-made martinis. Big James Bond guy. Right here, baby. A full pitcher of martinis. He probably liked them dirty too, with the olive juice poured in there. I bet he did. Yeah. Now, so this whole safe house operation. Um, was known inside the agency as now. Okay, what here we go. What would you guys code name this thing? You're dosing Johns. You're watching from behind a mirror. What's the code name here? Jesus Christ. That's it. Operation Jesus Christ. <laughs> Operation Cream of some young guy. Okay. Okay. This was known inside the agency as Operation Midnight Climax. (laughs) (laughs) Head on, right? So so they set up this safe house in Marin County, and this was a place where one agent claimed, quote-unquote, you could bring people for quickies after lunch. So even the agent, (laughs) so even the CIA agents themselves were just banging out prostitutes in these safe houses after lunch. All on taxpayer dollar, dude. Safe houses for a reason. Yeah, this is all on taxpayer dollars, and this is due to it. The Marin County safe house was had like it was isolated from the others. Like it wasn't right in the city. Uh, This one is also where the TSS tested out. "Quote unquote harassment substances like stink bombs, itching and sneezing powders, and <laughs> diarrhea inducers." <laughs> this is just like the LSD. They're just fucking with these guys while they're hooking up with chicks. <laughs> just like prank wars <laughs> times ten. So not only like, are they yeah the safe house is clear. Come on back, bud. Yeah, not only are they dosing each other with acid, they're also giving them stink bombs, itching powder, and diarrhea inducers. <laughs> it's just a laxative. they're just lacing these guys up with a head full of acid and then causing them to shit their brains out while they're just watching from a two-way mirror drinking a pitcher of Marcy (laughs) just laughing their ass off no one tell Odell about these places Jesus Christ okay come on all right he's a big fan of those stink bombs so every every single one of these acts was blatantly illegal but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> several significant operational techniques were developed during this operation, including extensive research into sexual blackmail and surveillance technology. As I guess like a lot of this stuff, like the microphones, the recording equipment, the two-way mirrors, this was like tested out in these safe houses. And then they would, uh, they would like use it in the field overseas and stuff like that. Not other safe houses? Yeah. Now, the CIA was also testing the performance of the prostitutes under conditions that mimicked a 
field operation to see whether they could become female spies or agents. Uh, so this is like that movie Red Sparrow. You guys seen that? Also like that movie uh, Casting Couch. Oh, you want to be a CIA agent? Let's record you having sex. <laughs> yeah. Well, Go yeah, ahead and, and uh, take those clothes off. But it's also like this. <laughs> yeah, the, this uh, everyone does this interview. It's okay. This was one thing that the Russians were actually doing. Like, we, you know, when we say like brainwashing and like mind control, like the Russians weren't actually doing that stuff, but we just out of fear decided to develop our own program. Like Russians actually did have female spies that were prostitutes and they would go like take, uh, you know, high uh, diplomats back and then like get information out of them. Probably, black widow style hit yeah, him with the teeth exactly yeah exactly black widow style uh red sparrow check that movie out now now what kind of performance were they testing here what do you mean <laughs> do you know what i mean we just said they were watching him have sex <laughs> that's the I've never done performance based review i guess yeah if they were good at getting information out of the guy then I guess they said, yeah, you could make a hell of an agent. Now, try this acid while I watch from behind this mirror with my bedroom martinis. And I actually was reading, like, one thing that George White, he would act like, bef- he obviously, as any good scientist does, tested the acid out on himself. He tested it out on his wife's, like, friends, and they were, like, swingers, and he was obsessed with high heels. He would have this girl in high heels, like, spank him in the safe house. While they're all doing acid and stuff. Jesus Christ. Yeah, this guy really carved out a niche operation for himself. This is Kingpin? Yeah, that's Kingpin. Yikes. Uh, Now, these safe houses were... Now, this operation was even expanded uh, as soon as... as, So, CIA operatives began dosing people in restaurants, bars, and on beaches... So just uh, everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So, so sometimes these MK Ultra guys, they would dose somebody, and then they weren't, I guess, the smoothest of operators, and they would just lose them in a crowd. Um, well, there he goes. So, yeah. They never got to study the results, and they would just send some dude off with a head full of acid. Um, now, it is estimated that thousands of unwitting men were lured and dosed in the operation. However, we'll probably never know the true numbers. Until we find the tapes that George had hidden under his mattress. Now, actually, a lot of this came out in his diary. He kept a diary against <laughs> CIA. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining got... this guy's like Dennis in Always Sunny. He just has like a collection of tapes. Yeah, George White, an erotic life. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's actually a fair assessment. Because um, I was watching this one TV show, like you know those shows that are always on that used to be on like Saturday mornings that were like strange hotels and like haunted mysterious hotels on like travel <laughs> channel ghost hunters no not ghost hunters but similar i was watching one of those shows and they were talking Top about 10 most haunted hotels in America. something like that yeah like spooky hotels and it was this one where i guess was one of these safe houses and they dosed this guy who was like a u.s marshal at a christmas party and he went and stuck up a bar 
And like, like obviously they caught him and arrested him. And we're like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? He's like, so, I'm a U.S. marshal. No, man. he lost it. He lost his like, I guess, what do you call it, clearance or whatever as a U.S. marshal. Like, ruined his life, and he didn't find out about this till years later. And then he found out about MK Ultra, tried to sue the CIA for just dosing him with acid at a fucking Christmas party. Next thing <laughs> you know, this guy jumped out of a ten-story building. Right? No, he lost the case because they said he was also drunk. So it's, oh. it's like unreliable narrator, <laughs> you know, like what do you like these guys, right. like who knows what other just weird unsolved mysteries or cases are just from the CIA, just dosing everybody with acid. Mm. Um, the CIA does. Well, except for the ones that, the ones that got away. And we'll get to that a little bit later now. The safe houses were dramatically scaled back in 1963 following a report by CIA Inspector General John Ehrman, uh, which strongly recommended closing the facilities. Uh, now, the San Francisco safe houses were closed in 1965, and the New York soon followed in 1966. Now, when George retired in 1966, after 14 years running these safe houses for the CIA... He wrote a farewell letter to Sid Gottlieb in which he stated, I was a very minor missionary, actually a heretic, but I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, cheat, steal, rape, and pillage with the sanction and the blessing of the all-highest? So this guy, you know, like while the Operation Midnight Climax stuff is pretty fucked up, We'll say, right? Severely fucked I up. I mean, they kind of do the same thing in what? Out in Nevada still, right? They got the brothels. Who knows what you're doing in there? Pay for whatever you want. Well, the government's not dosing you with acid. But, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, that stuff's like, knowledge. that stuff's fucked up in its own right, but it's pretty comedic, right? Uh,. Like I'm sure how there's it, some stories in there that are not comedic. No, I know. I'm not saying like the victims. Like that's not I funny mean, for the victims. But like George's <laughs> and Sid's rationale. The part of the fact that the government okayed them to basically have houses where they just did whatever yeah. the fuck they wanted to people and had two way mirrors, and house, pictures dude. of martinis. Like that. That's all comedic. <laughs> like if you saw, that's like a sketch comedy routine, right? Uh, maybe. Maybe take out the raping and pillaging. Part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the story, Throwing the logic. People out of yeah, the uh, tenth-story hotel room. Yeah, uh, the ways it was carried out obviously fucked up. And the safe house—that's separate from George Olson or Frank Olson. You know, we're not. I'm not saying that was funny in any way. Um, and obviously, these victims not funny, um, but just the rationale of the CIA will say is comedic. ridiculous. It's comedic. It's government, baby. Um, now, as we said, there are some far more sinister operations under the MK Ultra's umbrella. Um, this is like the titty horror stuff, right? <laughs> that we horror. talked about last episode. Uh, now, Dr. Harris Isbell. So this guy was the director of Addiction Research Center in Lexington, Kentucky. And he established a program here with inmates where if they volunteered they'd be given a drug of their choice. Usually this was heroin or morphine as they were all addicts. Um, now, sometimes they would be given time off their sentence, but usually they always pick the drugs. Um, now, this was used by the CIA to do like a quick test on new drugs or uh, test, you know, 
like tests they knew they couldn't perform on the general population. In one test, Dr. Isbell kept seven men on LSD for 77 days straight. Just every day? Every day, all day. Was <laughs> just pumping an IV into them or what? Yeah. Just, they would just give him a daily shot of LSD. Sounds like that creepypasta, dude. Russian oh, the Russian sleep experiment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, is a, this stuff gets along those lines now. Even more fucked up and possibly the most fucked up experiment that I could find or experiments that I could find were those aimed at the techniques of brainwashing. Uh, so in 1950, in an article in the Miami News... We get the first printed use in any language of the word brainwashing. Now, as discussed last episode, uh, there was a trial, the trial of that cardinal guy, you know, um, who gave a forced confession and they thought he was like uh, made into a zombie, like mind control stuff. Uh, There's more cases throughout the Korean War where soldiers had apparently been brainwashed by the enemy. Uh, so out of fear and paranoia, once again, the CIA starts looking into this stuff. So they they double down on this whole brainwashing and they say, you know, just because the communists don't have some magic brainwashing machine, machine doesn't mean it isn't possible. Uh, so once again, we got we got to get ahead of the game here, right? Got to have it first. Yeah, we got to get, you know, we got to push the boundaries here. Now, some of these experiments that came from this would wander far across the ethical boundaries of psychiatry. Uh, so far, in fact, that the agency officials thought it would be best to keep these on foreign soil. So Canada it is, baby. <coughs> <laughs> We're going to Canada to do these now. Uh, America's hat. <laughs> yeah, now, enter the picture a one Dr. Donald Edwin Cameron of Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal. Now, Cameron's life work as a doctor had been hoping to correct schizophrenia by erasing existing memories and reprogramming the psyche. Now, I'm no doctor, but that ma- that makes sense, right? Okay, yeah, not a scientist, but I'm watching the Jays. Yep, don't know anything about schizophrenia, but I'm saying that that seems kind of rational, right? I mean, I'm just wondering what that has to do with memories. Well, you so, start well, well exactly. That's kind of yeah. He's saying like I, I guess they didn't know a lot about schizophrenia. Just blank, just fucking men in black. These people, and they'll just be back to normal. And no, they reprogram their Hit psyche. Hard reset. Oh, yeah, so, so in 1957, with funding from a CIA front organization, uh, now it was somewhere in the tune of $69,000 from 1957 to 1964. Nice. Uh, nice. This Dr. Cameron started to carry out MK Ultra experiments that became known as the Montreal experiments. Now, in addition to LSD, he experimented with various paralytic drugs, and electroconvulsive therapy. Um, this was MK Ultra subproject number sixty-eight. What was sixty-nine? <laughs> the whorehouses. Yeah, probably. Well, that was number three. I that think. was three. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, his experiments were designed to first depattern individuals by erasing their minds and memories, thus producing a blank mind, essentially reducing them to the mental level of an infant. And then he would, quote-unquote, rebuild their personality in a manner of his choosing. 
Sounds like some fucking <laughs> yeah. horror movie shit. This is the titty horror Human stuff. Human centipede, yeah. yeah. Uh, so step one. Human centipede. Step one. In order to achieve the blank mind, Dr. Cameron placed his patients into drug-induced comas for up to 88 days. This was known as sleep therapy. Uh, I think that's known as a drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> During this time... He would also apply numerous high-voltage electric shocks to them over the course of weeks or months, often administering up to 360 shocks per person. Now, for some perspective, um, in standard electroshock treatments, doctors would administer 110 volts, lasting a fraction of a second once a day. Cameron used 150 volts two to three times a day. Jesus. Um, so this would last anywhere from 15 to 65 days. The screams of the patients echoing through the hospital caused other patients to become petrified of the sleep rooms, and they would often slowly creep down the opposite side of the hall. So, you know, just get that mental picture in your mind. Just like the radio headset. So. <laughs> well... I think a little more fucked up than the radio. (laughs) (laughs) A little. Now, now the CIA's interest in this whole thing was obviously once you produce this blank mind, can you put in new patterns of behavior? Now, Dr. Cameron said, absolutely, I can do that. This guy's full of shit. This is just fucking simple, you know? It's so simple. So to do this, he would perform what he called psychic driving on the subjects. Mm. Now, this is literally the, uh, what, what is it in a clockwork orange, you know, where they got the clamps in his eyes and they make him watch the thing and it makes him sick. Mm. Like it's, it's like Lodovico technique or something like that. Uh, this is literally that. Um, this Thanks. guy, so he's got the blank mind established. He's fully uh, brainwashed these folks, or not brainwashed, but I guess he's just mentally shattered them. He's produced the blank mind. He's got them in comas. They don't know what the fuck's going on. He's electroshocked the fuck out of them. Is it a true blank mind though, or is it just they're fucking? Mentally they're basically impas- they're ba- yeah they're basically a vegetable at this. Point. Now this is all in an attempt to get like the whole Manchurian candidate thing going, right? You kind of erase everything, and then you could implant them and train them to do. That's what the CIA was kind of getting at. Right. Um, but That's not what I'm getting. At. Yeah, so he he's got the blank mind established. These people are almost vegetables. Now he begins the psychic driving. Now during this phase, uh, patients would be bombarded with repeated verbal messages that were quote unquote emotionally loaded based on previous interviews with the patients. Mm. So first there would be negative messages to get rid of unwanted behavior. So here's an example from the book and I've, I've adjusted this to fit with you teabag. Uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to psychic drive you for a minute. So imagine you've been, you're in this hospital, you know, you, you give an interview to this guy, you tell him all your deepest, darkest secrets. He's got you in a drug-induced coma for 80 days. He's electroshocking you three times a day. So now, you just hear this message. Adam, you let your mother and father treat you as a child all throughout your single life. You let your mother check up on you sexually after every date you had with a girl. <laughs> You hadn't enough determination to tell her to stop it. You never stood up for yourself against your mother or father, but would run away from trouble. They used to call you crying Adam. Now you have two children, 
You don't seem to be able to manage them and keep a good relationship with your significant other. You're drifting apart. You don't go out together. You are not able to keep them interested sexually. So this would repeatedly play on a loop for 16 hours a day for several weeks. That's like fucking torture, dude. Yeah, for several weeks as Cameron had speakers installed in the sleep rooms and even under the pillows. Um, Some patients even had wires attached to their legs and it would shock them at the end of each message. Oh, dude, that's so fucked. Exactly. Um, So at this point, so he plays this for about, you know, several weeks. Um, And then he says, hey, we've got all the bad stuff out. Now we're going to switch over to positive messages for two to five weeks. So then comes a message like this. Now, once again, we've adjusted this for you, Adam. So you would hear, you mean to get well. To do this, you must let your feelings come out. It is all right to express your anger. You want to stop your mother from bossing you around. Begin to assert yourself first in little things, and soon you will be able to meet her on an equal basis. You will then be free to be a husband and a father, just like other men. So this would play... For about two to five weeks. Now, these experiments were typically carried out on patients who had entered the Institute for minor problems, like anxiety yes. disordered, uh, postnatal depression. Many suffered permanent debilitation after these treatments, <laughs> including incontinence. So is that like just pissing yourself? <laughs> yeah. um, amnesia, forgetting how to talk forgetting their parents, thinking their interrogators were their parents. Um, oh, shit. Like uh, Ninja Turtles, dude. Tokar and Razor. I mean... The Shredder. Yeah, these, these people just got totally fucked up. Now, as far as I could find, no present-day doctors of psychology except Dr. Cameron's views on psychic driving. Back then, <laughs> there was a whole bunch of fucked-up doctors, though. One psychologist says that it was an awful set of ideas with no intellectual respect. And if one were to actually look at what he was doing, it would, quote unquote, make you laugh. (laughs) So the medical field is just laughing at this guy. And the CIA is like, this is perfect. Here's $69,000. Why don't we keep doing this, you know? Like, how far can we go with this stuff? Uh, Now, Cameron's experiments laid the scientific foundation for the CIA's two-stage psychological torture methods and eventually led to the publication of the Kubark Counterintelligence Interrogation Manual. So while they didn't find, like, you know brainwashing techniques they said hey this is great for interrogation this is torture it will just ruin people's (laughs) lives instead (laughs) fuck it this is torture 101 uh so one of the major functions to come out of this vein of kind of like mentally breaking people and this was used a lot in these uh cameron experiments as well was sensory deprivation Mm. Now, other doctors and other people in the medical field, they had been looking into sensory deprivation since back in the artichoke days. You remember that? Ah, the artichoke days. Yeah, (laughs) including Dr. Maitland Baldwin, uh, who had one army volunteer go into a large box with his eyes covered, ears covered, uh, and exposed to continuous white noise in a padded cell to prevent uh, touching or feeling. 
Um, and this was only interrupted with restroom and meal breaks. Uh, now, the Army volunteer only lasted 40 hours before kicking his way out. And Baldwin never put anybody in for more than six days as he felt it would cause irreparable damage. Okay, thank uh, <laughs> Now, further experiments for the CIA into this were eventually shot down. Like, they wanted this guy to do more stuff. They were like, hey, how far can you go? How long can you keep somebody in here? And he was like, hey, come on. This is immoral. This is inhumane. Uh, I'm not doing this. We can drug them and, uh, you know, put these demoralizing messages, but we can't keep them in isolation for more than six days. Well, no, no, that the we C- can only do it for a week. That was the CIA <laughs> drugging people. This guy was like an army doctor, and the CIA wanted to recruit him to do these experiments, but he was like, "Nah, I can't. I can't do this." Wild. Now, before we go patting this guy on the back, um, he did eventually <laughs> perform lobotomies on apes and put apes in sensory deprivation boxes. He also experimented with beaming radio frequencies directly into chimpanzees' brains and even cut one monkey's head off and tried to reattach it to another monkey's body. Um, so God only knows what these guys were doing on humans. Uh, but apparently this guy said, hey, that's too far. But Dr. Cameron, he's right on board with this stuff. Now, he's using CIA funding, and he converted the horse stables behind Allen Memorial into an elaborate isolation and sensory deprivation chamber where he kept patients locked for weeks at a time. He left one woman in sensory isolation for 35 days. Jesus <laughs> Christ, dude. <laughs> Now, sometimes Dr. Cameron, like as we said, the psyching, psychic driving stuff, he would play these through speakers he had implanted into blacked out football helmets for sensory <laughs> deprivation purposes. So not only was he sens- like uh, applying sensory deprivation, but he was also doing this batshit crazy psychic driving stuff. Um, now Cameron would also test LSD in combination with psychic driving, subjecting his <laughs> patients to unsupervised trips. This was the only record I could find where a doctor would just allow unsupervised trips. Like most of the time they tried to watch the people except for the CIA guys who lost him in the crowd. Um, but he, you know, it was he, only a couple of times. Yeah. Now records show that he gave one patient LSD 14 times in two weeks and would just leave her in the room with the psychic driving going on. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so, you know, with Cameron, the CIA had a doctor who was willing to sacrifice ethical boundaries for funding. Uh, you know, I mean, it seems like this guy really didn't give a fuck, uh, or re- I mean, it seems like didn't he have boundaries at all, <laughs> Yeah, it <did. laughs> but it also seems like he really didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Where'd he get the fucking doctorate from? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Canadian doctor school. Don't you know? Yeah. Like this guy is just, uh, it, this guy was fucking out of his mind. You're sitting on your couch already. You might as well get up and give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> You ever heard of psychic driving? You sit hey, on your computer all day anyways. Why not listen to some messages that are going to help you? Why not do some LSD unsupervised? You don't know what this shit does. So, I mean, but I mean, this, this doctor, if we think about it, was exactly what the CIA was looking for. Am I right? Mm. Like they're looking for a guy who's going to do whatever they want just for some money. I mean, don't, I'm not saying all doctors are unethical, but I feel like in a lot of cases, if you give them money, they're probably willing to do some fucked up stuff. Aren't we all? Well, do you think that? Don't they take a Hippocratic oath 
to help what? people, right? Have you been paying attention to the news lately? Reporting COVID deaths just to get more funding? Okay, okay. Is that now... Is that yes, that's fucking true. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm not getting that. I'm saying the doctor as an individual. Like doctors take but is this a problem with like America as a whole of like we have a privatized healthcare industry, right? I would say yes. So we don't have like the doctors are all in it for the money when really they should be like Well, I think most doctors are no. Every village has its idiots. I'm just saying, man. You know, I think that, that is that part of the problem is like these doctors can't get the funding, so they're willing to sacrifice ethics for funding. I mean, I don't think that they want to. I'm just saying, in I feel like in most cases, like this is severely fucked up. I don't think every doctor out there would be like, oh, yeah, I'll do whatever the fuck you say for 69000 <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, I know. Okay, I think, so I think they basically just found this guy and were like, "Wow, this guy's a fucking retard." So hey, here's some money and okay, uh, just do whatever we want. Come on, we don't use the word anymore. Okay, say hey, this guy's a fucking moron. So, but were they looking for a moron or were they looking for yes. someone who would just do what they wanted? Which I, I guess would be a moron. <laughs> I think big both. pharma, dude. That's I think where it, the money's at. I think it just helped that he was a moron. Okay. So Clearly. they were just looking for someone who would basically do their bidding. They were looking for a schlub. Okay. Got their own Darth Vader right there. All right. So while we throw Dr. Cameron right under the bus, this guy was a schlub. We said he was a schmuck. Um, on the other end of that spectrum was Dr. John Lilly. Now, I believe we discussed him a bit on our very first episode. Uh, Regular John. Th- this was the guy who actually invented the sensory deprivation tank, if you recall. Are we talking way back in our uh, Stranger Things episode? Yep, very first episode. Oh, wow. This was the guy who eventually was like, they were jerking off the dolphins. So uh, <laughs> yeah, check out that, that episode, <laughs> yeah. episode one. Uh, now, anywho, in 1953, he was working at the National Institutes of Health, NIH for short. Now, NI- now NIH at this point, I believe, had Me. some anonymous <laughs> funding from the CIA. Like, remember how we talked about them funneling money through different channels? Anonymous? Mm. Yeah. So, so Dr. Lilly, he was working on mapping body functions to their respective parts of the brain, and he came up with this method of inserting all of these tiny electrodes into different parts of a monkey's brain and used electric simula- stimulation to discover what parts of the brain control what function. He discovered the centers responsible for fear, pain, anxiety, anger, and he even found centers in male monkeys responsible for erection and orgasm. Now, Lily found that if you gave a monkey access to a switch which controls this electrode, the monkey would give itself continuous orgasms for 16 (laughs) hours a day at three-minute intervals. This is like you as a teenager. Yeah, so this is if, like, imagine electrode in your brain to where you could press a button and just have an orgasm. This monkey was just hitting that all day, every three minutes. <laughs> You're, you wouldn't do that if you could? <laughs> hey, I'm not saying we're not that far removed from monkeys. So uh, the CIA obviously loves this research. Right? Uh, (laughs) So they're like, hey, hey, we want to meet with this guy. He says, okay, but you know, he's reluctant. 
Uh, and said, he, hey, we got to get one ourselves one of these buttons. Yeah, yeah. That we <laughs> we got to get access to one of these buttons. This could be great for some of our safe houses. Uh, <laughs> now, Lily decides to meet with them, but he's he's already skeptical. You know, he's like, hey, you know, I don't want to do any of this research. Like, my work has to remain fully public, unclassified. I ain't working for these fucking narcs, you know? That's um, verbatim what he said. Yeah, and Lily found that the CIA became increasingly difficult to work with, uh, so he eventually stepped down from researching the electrode stuff uh, because he didn't want to see his work used for, you know... Some guy drinking martinis coming in a fucking jerk-off booth. Yeah, I guess more like he didn't want to see his work... He wanted his work to be for good, the good of humanity, not um, the CIA using it for nefarious clandestine sure, operations. Sure. Yeah. Jerking off monkeys for the good of humanity. <laughs> hey, this guy is mapping electrodes to the brain. Hey guys, I got enough work with the uh, monkeys jerking off, right? So hey, that's important stuff because we don't really have a good understanding <laughs> about the brain, about like what parts of the brain work and stuff. I mean, we were doing fucking lobotomies on people. We, the U.S., <laughs> not us. I'm saying science. I guess mainstream science. Unreal. They sure know enough about jerking off now. Now in, now in 1954, Lily picked up doing sensory deprivation experiments. Now, ironically, he worked right next to Dr. Baldwin, who we discussed earlier, uh, who had been doing the sensory deprivation in the box, you know, uh, for the artichoke experiments. Now, Lily developed his tank for sensory deprivation, which if you don't know what a float tank is, it's like a dark tank with body temperature, salt water, very high salinity so that you can float and you have a face mask on for air and it's, it's, it's cutting off all your senses. Um, now, Lily, like any good scientist, he wanted to be the first to try this out. So he injected pure Sandoz LSD into his leg and climbed into the float tank. <laughs> now, now, once again, uh, the CIA comes in and they're like, hey, you're crazy for that one. How can we use this as an <laughs> interrogation tool? Uh, it became clear to Lilly at this point that the CIA was not interested in any positive benefits in his research. And Lilly looked at himself as, you know, Lilly was like, hey, fuck you guys, basically. He kept doing this research on his own. Uh, and he's looked at as a pioneer and of like setting off into the farthest corners of human consciousness. Uh, and here these narcs are, uh, you know, not wanting this shit to get out. They want to keep this shit secret for themselves. So he quit the NIH in 1958. Uh, now, as we said before, Lilly went on to do research into dolphins and their intelligence. Uh, he, he was trying to find ways to communicate with them. And this is like what he is most famous for because he thought like everyone, everybody's consciousness was on like this certain frequency. And if you could, like, break that down or remove that and, like, get back to square one, you could, like, communicate with dolphins. I mean, this guy was also doing ketamine and LSD and going in float tanks. Don't put this man on a pedestal. He's notorious for jerking off monkeys and dolphins. That was his lab assistant. 
<laughs> now, now we can de- assistant too. And I'm saying we can definitely do an entire episode on John Lilly. But if you want more on him, check out Day of the Dolphin or Altered States. Those are both great. Day of the Dolphin. Yeah, both, I don't think I want to watch. Them. Both great movies based on his work. Uh, now there's no dolphins. This is actually like he's doing research into dolphins, and the Navy wanted to use dolphins as a weapon with like giant uh, lasers. Dude, I'm not. That's not even a joke. Like, yeah, you laugh about the Doctor Evil. I want freaking sharks with freaking laser beams. The Navy actually did that. Not lasers. They put giant spears on dolphins' head and tried to use them as weapons. Against what? <laughs> exactly. This is just the, the fucking... Loch Ness monster. <laughs> like other ships and stuff. I guess. Like harpoon to like harpoon the ship or some shit like that. Uh, we'll get into that on our Lily episode. Uh, now basically Lily went on to become a huge cult figure in the counterculture. Um, he was hanging out with uh, influential guys like Allen Ginsberg and Timothy Leary. Uh, there's a picture of the three of them together. Uh, and this is where we'll get to the trickle down acid effect. You know, was that on the set of dolphins night out? (laughs) That was not, that was probably when they were, uh, they probably all had a head full of acid there. He said, hey, guys, let's just go ahead and uh, hit this into your leg one time and hop in this float tank, baby. Yeah, so so this is the point in the story where it essentially becomes supremely ironic that the CIA's research for weaponizing drugs, uh, mind control, brainwashing techniques would essentially create the entire counterculture. Um, because, you know, there's the, like... Have you guys heard the conspiracy theory that, like, the entire hippie movement and 60s counterculture was all orchestrated by the CIA? Yes. I have not, but, like, reading this and seeing it in front of me, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, maybe the CIA didn't mean to do that. But if you think about it, this conspiracy theory holds some weight because, in an indirect way, this is basically true. I mean, I feel like it just helped introduce people to acid. The, but the CIA, well, it's not the yeah. entire hippie movement, though. It's like, but yours, but that came from acid. I wouldn't say that. I mean, a lot of things that are part of the hippie movement can be traced back to acid. So but I wouldn't say the whole. All right. So if there was no acid there would still be a counterculture movement in the 60s that was as powerful as it was, you'd believe? Yeah, just be a bunch of guys smoking weed instead. <clears throat> See, we talked about the CIA cornering the market last episode, and to me it kind of feels like, all right, so we've got this whole big... We own all you know, all the stock in LSD and acid in the world. It's not working the way we wanted it to. Let's just give it out to weirdos. Uh, well, not only like that, the government buying cocaine and then yeah, having yeah. a fucking war right, on drugs. Right. It's not only like exactly. they didn't they didn't say it's not working out how we wanted to. They just gave it out to everybody. They were set like we <laughs> said Halloween baby, <laughs> yeah, trick or treat. Like we said, they were setting. <laughs> they were setting. Yeah, they were setting up fucking shell companies. They were having all these universities do the research. Like they, they were. They probably still are, bud. No, they're yeah. definitely not. But they spread. They spread LSD to everybody and, in effect, caused the counterculture is what I'm getting at. Now, do we agree or do we disagree? I'm buying. Okay. Um, And now we'll get more into this, but basically look at it this way. 
So we got into last episode, the the CIA corner of the world market, as we said. Uh, they're pretty much responsible for all the research into acid in the U.S. As we said, you know, they, fit, they set up phony foundations, universities to research. Uh, this is where the trickle-down effects comes into play because through this research, people like Allen Ginsberg, Ken Casey, Robert Hunter, and Timothy Leary got introduced to LSD. Get a couple of phony passports, head down to Rio. Now, first up, let's get into Allen Ginsberg. Um, so he was an American poet, writer, uh, core member of the Beat Generation. These guys were like the original hipsters. They were the precursors to the hippies. Um, Probably hanging out with Sid and George in the fucking Greenwich Village. Yeah, guys like, you know, William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac. Uh, best known, Ginsberg was best known for his poem, Howl. Uh, basically, he opposed the destructive nature of capitalism and conformity. Moloch, Moloch, angel-headed hipsters, you know? Hey, man. Shout out Miles Manley. He does a great Allen Ginsberg impersonation. Uh, now, anywho. Should have so, called him up. Stanford University, they're running a program in which they ask for volunteers to come in and try this new substance in 1959. Now, Ginsberg volunteered to become an experimental subject where two psychologists were secretly working with the CIA to develop mind-controlled drugs and gave him LSD. Now, listening to recordings of Wagner and Gertrude Stein in the lab, he decided that acid was, quote-unquote, a very safe drug and thought that even his suburban poet father, Lewis, might like to try it. Ginsburg had become convinced that psychedelics held promise as agents of transformative mystical experience and that were available to anyone, particularly when combined with music and other art forms. And the rest, they say, that's history. Um, now, a set of similar LSD experiments was going on at the Menlo Park Veterans Administration Hospital. Uh, that's where Ken Casey was taken LSD for the first night time. Now, Casey's experiences while under the influence of LSD inspired him to promote the drug outside of the context of MKUltra experiments, which influenced the early development of the hippie culture. He was so excited about it, he took a job at the hospital, began stealing LSD and giving it to his friends. Uh, that became the, the basis for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Ken would go on to become a part of the Merry Pranksters, which these guys would like live communally in California and Oregon. They're most famous. They're most famous for traveling around the U.S. in a psychedelic painted school bus called Further. In the summer of 1964, organizing parties, giving out LSD. This was all documented in the Electric Kool Aid Acid Test. Are we familiar? It's very clearly documented. Uh, now Robert Hunter. He was the lyricist, singer-songwriter, translator, and poet best known for association with Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead. He was also an early volunteer at an MK Ultra test uh, at Stanford University. Basically, in these tests, they were paid to take LSD, psilocybin, and mescaline and report their experiences. Now, these experiences were creatively formative for Hunter, who is quoted as saying... Sit back, picture yourself swooping up a shell of purple with foam crests of crystal drops. Soft nigh, they fall into the sea of morning creep. Very softly mist. 
and then sort of cascade, tinkly bell-like. Must I take you by the hand, ever so slowly type? And then conglomerate suddenly into a peal of silver vibrant, uncomprehendingly, blood-singingly, joyously resounding bells. By my faith, if this be insanity, then for the love of God, permit me to remain insane. So all three of these guys were early MK Ultra test subjects. Now, even I guess more I, on the negative side of the spectrum, Boston mobster James Whitey Bulger uh, claimed that he had been a part of the early MK Ultra experiments while in prison in Atlanta in 1957. Mm. He was one of the prisoners who volunteered for what he was told was an experiment aimed at finding a cure for schizophrenia. Uh, he was then given LSD every day for more than a year. Jesus Christ. He later Yikes. realized that this had nothing to do with schizophrenia, and he was a guinea pig in a government experiment aimed at seeing what people's long-term reactions to LSD was. Now, Bolger described his experience as quite horrific. Uh, he thought he was going insane, and towards the end of his life, he told his friends that he was going to find the doctor in Atlanta who was the head of the experiment and kill him. Now, the doctor actually died a natural death, so Bolger didn't get to kill him. Uh, but this, is, this was like, you know this guy? They had the Johnny Depp movie, Black Mass, about him. Mm. I'm familiar. Yep, so that guy, another MK Ultra test subject. Now, this is the whole trickle-down thing. You're like, oh, let's give this to like a famous musician and he can hand it out to like groupies and stuff. Oh, let's give this out to a tough, hardcore gangster because he'll sell that shit like hotcakes. Well, no, see, I don't think the CIA... CIA plants, they call them. No, 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 see, this is where you guys are getting ahead of yourselves. I don't think the CIA planned that. This and is that's just... what they want you to think. Okay, well, we can get there when we, when we finish going through these test subjects, but I'm saying they set up the... Phony fucking um, operations, the phony studies at the universities. These are the guys that it got to that spread out and kind of took acid in their own way. I mean, Whitey Bulger didn't really help in spreading acid, but like Ken Casey, Allen Ginsberg, um, all those guys, like they helped spread acid to the masses. They, they were okay. like the godfathers of the counterculture movement. So if these guys never got involved in MK Ultra, there probably would be no counterculture. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm picking it up. I'm tracking. Uh, now these next couple guys are alleged subjects. Now these ones are not proven, uh, but I figured how we might as well throw them in here. Uh, one Ted Kaczynski, who became known as the Unabomber, was said that was to your have your Halloween costume one year, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. Now, he was said to have volunteered for a psychological study that had since been alleged by some sources to have been a part of MKUltra. Ted was a sophomore at Harvard when he participated in a study described as a, quote-unquote, purposely brutalizing psychological experiment. Sounds like every one of my dates. Led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray. Uh, in total, Kaczynski spent 200 hours as a part of this study. Now, Lawrence Teeter, who is the attorney of Sirhan Sirhan, who assassinated Bobby Kennedy, he believed that Sirhan himself was operating under MK Ultra mind control techniques. 
So if you look into the Bobby Kennedy assassination, this was like a big part of the trial of Sirhan Sirhan. Did the CIA succeed in creating their Manchurian candidate? They did, and they even gave him a weird name. (laughs) Fellas, there you go. Next time you screw up and your girl's mad at you, just say you're under MK Ultra Mind Control. (laughs) So... I mean, again, that's another episode for another day. We could spend a whole episode talking about the oddities in the Bobby Kennedy assassination, but just know, connection with MKUltra comes in. I mean, Christ, you could even argue that Manson. Mm. Like, what was the whole thing with Manson? Hey, man, he's just writing some music in California, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, w- what, became, the what became the whole argument for the Manson trout? He was using acid to develop devout followers and then have them do his killing for them he was um, oh. he was testing the performance of girls that were under the influence <laughs> of acid weird it, it sounds that's like cia yeah, <laughs> it sounds like manson was doing his own cia operation was he possibly the cia, the CIA. was he possibly under the control of the cia to then conduct mm. his own CIA MKUltra tests. Mm. I mean, think about it. That became the whole basis for the case. That sounds like that's pure Manchurian candidate stuff if I ever heard one. Mm. Manson, who spent half his life in jail, all of a sudden is this brilliant fucking... um, Hey, just becomes this brilliant guy who can mind control all these uh, teenage girls to go murder Sharon Tate and these four other people. Mm. On his behest, couple of psychos, couple of MK Ultra subjects, we'll say. Uh, now, probably the most well-known of all these trickle-down guys was none other than Timothy Leary. You guys familiar? Never heard of him. Really, you've never heard of Timothy I'm, Leary? I'm kidding, dude. Yes, I've heard of him. Okay, Timothy Leary. He went on to Tim. become the guru of LSD uh, with his catchphrase: "Turn on, tune in, and drop out." Uh, and he That's was what Adam did three times. <laughs> <laughs> now he was once declared by Nixon to be the most dangerous man in America. Adam's been called that as well. Uh, and he also <laughs> would come across psychedelics through none other than Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Uh, now, for those that don't know, Tim's interest in psychedelic drugs was sparked by an article that appeared in Life magazine, 1957, Seeking the Magic Mushroom. I remember when that came out. This was about a couple of Americans who had gone to Mexico and found the magic mushroom that produces hallucinations. Now, one of those Americans was Robert Gordon Wasson. Uh, This guy was basically like really into mushrooms uh, and how different cultures use them culinarily, medicinally. He's like the Indiana Jones of mushrooms. Uh, And he apparently was also the first Westerner to participate in a Mazatec mushroom ritual. Uh, Basically, this involved the use of psilocybin, magic mushrooms to communicate with God and experience Mm. enlightenment. Fucking badass. Yeah, this is actually crazy because I believe that was in 1952. And he's the first Westerner to trip on mushrooms. So at like acid was being more widespread than mushrooms. 
which is like reverse in my mind. Cause when you think about it, like mushrooms are kind of a gateway to acid, right? <laughs> yeah. But you can't just, well, I guess you can now, but back then they weren't just fucking creating psilocybin in a fucking lab. Well, they did just that after the CIA got a hold of it. Oh well, yeah. Um, but That's what I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm I'm saying like, at the time, yeah, I mean, like nowadays, yeah, yeah. fucking but, in drugstores. But it's crazy to think like you wouldn't just go, oh yeah, give me some acid and then do some mushrooms. You know, it's like always <sighs> mushrooms first. Like this is when uh, mom found the bag of mushrooms in my underwear drawer. <laughs> And you told her they were pencil shavings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I wasn't doing acid then. Just mushrooms, baby. So mushrooms, the gateway drug. Yeah, mushrooms, the gateway well, to acid. Weed like, is actually the gateway drug, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, now uh, now these CAA guys, they were just going straight acid. They were just going straight Yikes. to acid. They didn't even have mushrooms yet. Now this Wasson guy, he again goes back to Mexico in 1956 on an expedition for more research. And this is where we get the Life magazine article. Now Leary... Tim, also the famous quote, you boys like Mexico? <laughs> so Leary became fascinated by this article. He later goes down to Mexico. Uh, he starts tripping on mushrooms before he even tries LSD. Uh, but what... Wasson didn't know at the time he went on the expedition and what Leary didn't know at the time he read the article was that the entire Mexico operation were, was funded by the CIA's MKUltra subproject number 58. Got one. Yeah, so Sid Gottlieb <laughs> once again paid this Wasson guy through some shell corporation. He had no idea. He goes down there, finds mushrooms. They send it to Sandoz. They get psilocybin. Uh, now, Leary and fellow Harvard colleague Richard Alpert, uh, later known as Ramdas, began doing their own research into psilocybin and eventually, eventually became huge proponents of acid, uh, which, as we said, would go on to trickle down. You know, you had these early studies at large Ivy Leagues, like we said, the Stanford stuff, the Harvard stuff, and then professors were introducing were introduced to the stuff by these studies. Uh, they passed it down to upperclassmen. They influence lower classmen, so on and so forth. Before you know it, acid becomes widespread across the U.S. Hey, prof, let me get some of that acid. Exactly. <laughs> Go to college, they said. Eventually sparks the entire hippie counterculture movement. So now are you tracking with where I'm, I'm kind of getting at that? Uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Are we still saying this happens without acid? I mean, I think, in my opinion, and, you know... If I'm no uh, historian here, obviously, but I think that it was already starting before the acid, and the acid just kind of gave it a jump start, mm. kind of uh, electrocuted it like that doctor three times a day. Okay, <laughs> now now among those who took up this cause perpetuated by Tim Leary was none other than John Lennon, who turned to Leary's take on the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, Leary kind of took this and, and made it a roadmap for a psychedelic experience. Hmm. Uh, now, he turned this into the track Tomorrow Never Knows off the album Revolver. Ironic. Uh, now, Tomorrow Never Knows. <laughs> yeah, no, so this goes to like the counterculture as a whole. So you got all these branches that bloom into the 60s counterculture based around LSD. And each of these main figures, you know, you got... Ginsburg, you got Leary, you got Casey. They all take LSD and they spread it in their own way. Uh, and at the very trunk of this tree is the CIA, 
the men of, from MK Ultra, and most notably, acid head Mac Daddy of them all, Sidney Gottlieb. <laughs> um, now this is where I've got a few theories. So hear me out because maybe this stuff sounded better in my head. Um, but let was me your head full of acid? Uh, it's not full of acid. So, so well, I said, was it? It was not. So let me know if you guys are picking up what I'm putting down here. So Sid himself, like we said in our first episode, he's a pretty unorthodox guy, you know? He spent the later part of his life living in India, helping out local hospitals. He dabbled in meditation, Eastern religions. Remember he, a small dabble. Remember I said he lived in that uh, small cabin in the woods. He milked his own goats every morning. You want to go to India? Go to India. Exactly. He goes to India, you know? So, like, this guy himself was almost like a proto-hippie, right? Maybe he's just trying to find himself. And he took acid over 200 times in his life, he said, when he was testing it before dosing his men. Um, And this whole hippie movement is sparked more or less arguably out of this guy's mind. Is that a coincidence? Like, are you guys, are you guys tracking that? Like this guy in his own, like, is it a stretch to say that that's how we got to the hippies? Cause that's what he was thinking in his head. Yeah. Like this guy, MK ultra is all from this guy's mind. He's spreading it to all these people. Well, I think the uh, common denominator here is not Sid. It's the acid. The acid. That's what I'm saying. Like he's saying like the CIA put this idea in this man's head through the acid and now he's some kind of Jesus Christ wannabe. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like, uh, I I don't know if you're getting my point and maybe I'm just not getting this across. Right, I'm just saying. No, I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying, what I'm saying is I don't think the entire hippie movement is just sprung out of this guy's mind. I'm thinking that this guy was like, hey, I like acid hell. Maybe all these guys will too. Well, it's not only that he likes it. I'm saying, like, there's some sort of missing consciousness link that we don't know about. Science doesn't know about. Well, they do. It's called LSD, brother. No, no, no. That's what I'm getting at. Like, this guy's taken acid 200 times. He's a proto-hippie himself. He's meditating. He's living in his cabin off goat's milk. He starts dosing Just everybody. Good smoke. Yeah, he starts dosing everybody. It spreads, it trickles down. Tim Leary's getting the spark. Like maybe this is like John Lilly saying, we're all on some sort of frequency and everybody's tuned into that. Cause don't they say like once you do acid, um, what is it, like five times? And it's like you're not you don't have the same like there's no going back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... I don't know what the magic number is. Yeah, so maybe all these guys doing acid, they're all tuned into the same frequency. How many times did you do it? They all become the vibrational... Are you on a different frequency than us right now? I, it could be, and maybe that's <laughs> why this is not going. And I, I mean, maybe we're all connected in, on some invisible wave of consciousness, and this explains how all of this unfolded the way it did. Is that like a stretch? I don't think it's a stretch. But I also don't think that we all need to be tripping on LSD to be on the same consciousness. <laughs> I think you people, don't want to go, dude. People just need to, you know, chill no, I'm out not, I'm with not... uh, their belief systems and just all get along and we'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. Well, yeah. So imagine if everybody was doing acid right now. 
Would everybody mm. be on the same? Like, would no, things start to a mellow bunch out? Of assholes out there that would be having bad trips and ruining it for everyone else. But they would just kind of <laughs> fall to the wayside, right? I guess I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's keep going with this. So, pitch your I, idea to be, the CIA. No. Let's get a couple thousand <laughs> yeah. bucks going. I get thought, a couple safe houses built. I thought this guy oh, had yeah. a uh, a good point in the book um, because this former CIA psychologist he said more or less that uh, quote unquote the CIA's fixation on control and manipulation wasn't too far off from the culture. Just to speak on that point real quick, though. Isn't it kind of interesting that they thought that LSD was like a mind control drug, but it is actually pretty much the opposite of that? It's expansion, mind consciousness expansion. Okay, okay. Now we'll get into that. (laughs) Later in the episode. No, no, I get what you're saying, though. Like, it's like, yeah, they were trying to control everybody. That's like their karma, you know what I mean? Okay, well, hear me out here. You like that? You think it's expanding? I'm thinking, what about if it's the opposite? Like, what if it's erasing the minds? Like, we were talking about earlier, this Canadian guy. That guy's using this, I, I'm not, not denying that, but I'm saying, what if they did find a way to use this acid to kind of reset everybody's mind, and now they're like, oh, yeah, turn these guys into a counterculture so we can get our, our fill of blood and killing and raping and pillaging or whatever you read earlier in that quote. Okay, yeah, I think I'm thinking that you guys are kind of both on a similar. Well, <laughs> no, t- two opposite Clearly we tracks. We haven't done enough LSD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we right, gotta do it anyway, a couple more times. All right, well, here different wavelengths. Well, listen to this. Listen to this. So, four more times. <laughs> all right. So this guy, this psychologist, the CIA psychologist, says the the CIA's fixation with control is not too far off from the culture. So if we think about it. Were these CIA guys just light years ahead of their time in the search to fully control people? I mean, look at us now. We live in a, we've got our little control-based society from politics to education to advertising. Everything we see these days has become some type of rhetoric. Uh, You know, everybody's becoming politicized. We got targeted ads based on your search history. Uh, You can build up your own private worlds and your little cell phones. Get pissed off if anybody disagrees (laughs) with you. Facebook is giving information to the Russians. Uh, We're being influenced, lied to from all angles. YouTube and Spotify are censoring people. Twitter's become the most popular political platform. Mainstream media is politically polarized as ever. Trump's banning Tic Tac. Uh, Elections are rigged. (laughs) Tic Tac. You know, am I missing anything? <laughs> Everything is controlled, right? So I say it's all a sham. Maybe we should be dosing ourselves with 250 micrograms <laughs> of acid every day for months at a time. That's a lot let's of let, uh, acid there. Let's let, our, let the egos go. Let's become closer to the oneness. Some form of enlightenment. Drop out like Leary said. I like it. Hey, I've done it three times. Or maybe two more times, baby. <laughs> maybe that's already been tried with the hippies, and it didn't work out too well. And now the CIA's got all this excess LSD. They got to get rid of it. Trickle down, baby. War on drugs. So hear me out on that, because as we're talking about this whole conspiracy, CIA counterculture. Uh, I think Hunter S. Thompson had some good thoughts on the hippies and the beatniks, uh, and he did a fuckload of drugs. <laughs> so you know, you know, he's not just harping on them for being drug addicts, uh, this or burnouts or weed heads. You know, uh, 
Now, when I was researching this, I'm doing all this research into the counterculture, these conspiracy theories, the CIA. Um, now, I was reminded of the following ex- excerpts from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which do a pretty good job of summing up LSD and the hippie movement as a whole. Now, these are probably the two quotes that have always stuck with me since I first read the book years ago. Now, Hunter says, San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something, maybe not in the long run. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch the sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time and the world, whatever it meant. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle, the sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense, we didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. You can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west, and with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high watermark, the place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. No more of the speed that fueled the 60s. Uppers are going out of style. That was the fatal flaw in Tim Leary's trip. He crashed around America selling consciousness expansion without ever giving thought to the grim meat hook realities that are lying in wait for all the people who took him too seriously. Not that they didn't deserve it. No doubt they got what was coming to them. All those pathetically eager acid freaks who thought they could buy peace and understanding for three bucks a hit. But their loss and failure is ours too. What Leary took down with him was a central illusion of a whole lifestyle that he helped create. A generation of permanent cripples, failed seekers, who never understood the essential old mystic fallacy of the acid culture. The desperate assumption that somebody, or at least some force, is tending to the light at the end of the tunnel. So there you have it. Don't buy the hype, kids, because at the end of the day, that Travis Scott burger is just a regular quarter pounder. (laughs) (laughs) So now, now, T-Bag, I think this is kind of where you were getting at. Do we think that maybe getting these hippies all fried out on acid was part of the CIA's plan? That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, did they know from their experiments that the movement would just fizzle out on its own? Like, do we think the CIA was that ahead of the game? I don't know if they were ahead, but I think they were just using these people as pawns, man. Yeah, because, like, so they're doing all these, as we said, they're setting up all these trips. Like, did they know somebody's going to come spread this around? Oh, it's so great. It's such a great thing, but it's just going to fry these people out of their minds. I mean, Tim Leary, mm. be, Tim Leary became like the poster child for acid. And what, it, what his message became, turn on, tune in, drop out, drop out. That's practically the opposite of the anti-war stuff that came before Leary. Because if you look at the counterculture that started with the anti-war protests, that started with like the Black Panthers, uh, they were all trying to rise up, fight the power. And then they, the CIA comes along and they say, hey, we're just going to give everybody acid they'll think, oh, I'm tuned into the oneness, the consciousness, and then they'll just drop out. This will all fizzle out. 
They said, hey, sorry I had a fight in your Black Panther party. (laughs) Do we think this became the name of the CIA's game? Okay, so hear me out on this, and this is going to take a sharp turn from what the fuck you were just saying. But these guys are paying these fucking idiot doctors that are doing whatever the fuck they want to experiment on people that are already strung out, people that are already delusional, have schizophrenia, have all these ailments, right? Well, that which is a small, small fraction of MKUltra, but yes. Okay, point being... These guys are going around dosing each other when the shit started out. So I don't think that they had enough information at that point in time to know that if you do acid 300 times, you're going to just fry your fucking brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think that, I mean, maybe this is just over my head, which it probably is, but I don't think that they knew enough that they were like, oh, giving this to this guy is going to fucking spark a revolution. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think it was planned out, but I think like once they saw the effect that it was having on a majority of people at that time, then maybe they caught on to it and were like, oh, let's uh, Mm. see where this goes. Okay, yeah. See, yeah. But I don't think that it was like, I don't think anyone in the CIA, and again, could be way off on this, who knows, but I don't think that they were like, oh, let's just start giving acid to everyone and... That way we can control everyone because in my opinion, and again, not a expert on acid here, but I don't think that acid like controls you. I think it opens your mind up to other possibilities and maybe even other dimensions if you're doing enough of it. Well, yeah, we know. Okay. Now that's, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot. So I don't think... I don't think the CIA was so ahead of the game that they were like targeting, we're giving this to Tim Leary who's going to spread it. They just knew somebody would. Mm. Well, I think if they were ahead of the game, they wouldn't have been getting that guy to be the leader of their uh, experimentation up in Canada. Oh, George. Oh, uh, well, (laughs) no, see, that's what I'm getting at. That's just like a side experiment? Yeah, that's just like one of the most fucked up ones I could find. Like when you actually see, like that was subproject, what, 58? We only talked about subproject 58, 68, and 3 in this episode. Well, yeah. but Think about all those other projects. Because that will get to it how this was all destroyed. But well, I mean, if you think about it, though, the main guy goes off to live a peaceful life in India. Sounds like. And I thought maybe that was his own guilt. Like he was uh, just like, I like, just got to get away from this well, because bullshit. Not only get away, but he wanted to help people. He went to India and like helped in the hospitals, like treating people with leprosy. Mm. And it's like, did that weigh on his own hippie conscious of doing acid two hundred <laughs> times that he? felt the guilt of dosing these Johns, we'll say, and he wanted to do some good in the world. Okay. But, I mean, let's keep unpacking this. Let's keep talking about this because you were saying um, acid is an expansion drug. It's opening your mind. Now, is that just a first glance at it? And maybe the CIA knew that. They say, hey, look at all these counterculture people talking about anti-war. If we give them acid, they're going to trip their first time and say, oh, this is so eye-opening, consciousness expanding. We need to be peace and love. But really, it's like Hunter S. Thompson was saying. Like, for every Tim Leary, there's 200 fucking dropouts and acid freaks whose minds are shattered and they're just laughing and pissing themselves in the gutter. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like, it's it's not like... 
it's not what it was built up to be. It's not this fucking peace. Like he said, you know, they thought they could buy peace and love and, and consciousness expansion for three bucks a hit. But, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out. Okay, then what? So we just do acid and do and just fucking live like bums the rest of our lives? Well, yeah, take a look at downtown San Diego, <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, so, like, did the CIA maybe know that much? Maybe. Like, did they, because they were, as we said, in the 50s, they were doing this shit themselves hundreds of times. Yeah, and they so were like, maybe uh, these uh, people that you're referring to just couldn't control their shit. Or maybe they did it so many times that they were like, eh, that's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, you know? I'm just going to be a bum the rest of my life. No. We'll give it to these people once and they'll fucking drop out and be bums. We'll keep running shit as per usual. Possibly. That could be their way of dealing peacefully with the anti-war protesters, kind of. We'll just get them so drugged out, they're not going to be all upset about anything. Yeah, because if we look at this, you know, like Rob said, okay, acid does not control you. It opens your mind. But maybe by opening your mind, that's exactly what the CIA wanted in their form of control. You're just little round robin. So strung out on shit that you're yeah. not paying attention to what's really going yes, on. Yes, exactly. But see, being an you know, acid virgin, if you will, like is that one of those things? Like, okay, if we smoke weed, it's gonna impact us differently. Some of us will just fall asleep, some of us will get hungry, some of us will laugh our asses off, some people will go out and create great works of art. Acid the same way, maybe? Yes, no? Well, I think different strands. Um, okay. because it's just like weed with different strands. Like you have the fucking, uh, orange sunshine acid, which is what they did the Manson murders on. It's and very that, scientific. We won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now, and God knows this fucking Sandoz acid that they were dosing people with. I mean, there was probably a bunch of different types of acid out there. And, but I think it's, it's more like where you say like, different drugs affect people differently like and we talked about in our first episode like these hardline cia guys doing drugs like some of them had like mind-altering experience like the one guy who thought everything was beautiful and then Mm -hmm. other guys that were paranoid just had bad trips and thought everybody was out to get them like yeah it's gonna affect different people differently but but i mean who knows who knows if the cia was that ahead of the game or did this search does this search for control move throughout generations? You know, maybe it's cyclical. I mean, we're obviously like as I said, we're still living in this search for control today. It's just it's just a different form. I mean, if you think about it, people have been trying to control people from the beginning of humanity. Look at religion and governments. <laughs> look at religion. Uh, social media. Yes. Like nowadays, social media, advertising, like Everything is like some form of like control, whether it be narrow or large, right? Keep the masses with their minds fried out, glued to their screens, doing their acid, sniffing coke, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They'll just follow along blindly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like the CIA, obviously, as we said, they're probably still like they were light years ahead in this drug research. They're probably light years ahead in the, in whatever is going on now. Just um, uh, bend over and look at your screen while we fuck you in the ass. <laughs> now for some <laughs> conclusions. Uh, so in June of 1964, MK Ultra became MK Search, where many of the projects were just we just discussed would live on. 
uh, until June of 1972 when Sid decided to end MK Search for good. In his closing report on the program, he had to finally admit that all the materials and techniques they had been using were too unpredictable to be operationally useful. Mind control, he concluded, is a myth. It was fed by fantasies from fictions that were believed at a young age, and once you got to see if it would transfer from fiction to reality, they broke down. Uh, Now, Sid had a long career after MKUltra ended and went on to become the head of the technical services staff where he made an astonishing variety of covert tools from TV light cameras that you can fit inside a cigarette lighter, uh, a car with a secret compartment to smuggle agents out of foreign countries, a compressor for foreign currency so you could pack a huge amount into a small container, and even a jailbreak kit that could be stored in your anus. Is that the original get-out-of-jail-free card? Uh, Yeah, he also invented a super-thin hypodermic needle so that you could poison a bottle of wine through the cork without leaving any trace in the cork. So Adam's been using lately on his dates. Now, (laughs) Sid's career came to a a close shortly after Watergate in 1972 when Richard Helms, director of the CIA, was removed by Nixon. Now, once Helms was gone, it was just a matter of time before they got to Sid. And really, Helms was the only person at the CIA who had any idea of what Sid had been up to with all the MK Ultra stuff. Um, so as they both were on their way out, they agreed to destroy all records of MK Ultra's existence. Uh, now, as we said, a good majority of all the records were burned in 1973, And it wasn't until 1977 that about 10 boxes of financial records were found. And this is how a majority of the information we know got out. Uh, The only reason those boxes survived was due to a filing error. Um, So they were never destroyed in the first place. Uh, Now that begs the question. If all of this research from these last two episodes came from more or less 10 boxes of financial reports that were redacted, what was in the stuff they destroyed? And what do we think could be going on now? I don't even want to know. I mean, Jesus Christ, guys. Ten boxes. I mean, they, they probably destroyed hundreds of boxes. Who the fuck oh, knows? Oh, this is over two decades, right? Yeah, this could have... <laughs> This could have been, it could have been like we said, the whole counterculture movement. Maybe Manson was working for the CIA. Um, you know, it goes, it goes. Probably worse shit than that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, because this is just the stuff that got out from financial records. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg, man. And, and then. Um, that sunk the Titanic. And think about like going, stuff going on now. I mean, I do think there is a bit more transparency because, like, you know, we have Watergate. We had um, the, what, what was it, the Rockefeller Report? I mean, even though that was just a slap on the wrist, like, there's... Oh, it always is, baby. I feel like there's more <laughs> monitoring and there's, like, you know, Freedom of Information Act, even though a lot of times it takes years to get stuff from that. Um, but I don't think the CIA is quite as, like, Wild West as it was back in, back then. Like, I don't think they're setting up safe houses where they're just dosing everybody with, <laughs> with acid and fucking having hey. processes. Nevada, dude, you never know. What does Nevada have this to do? This guy's moving to Nevada next. Legal prostitution. They got whorehouses there. So you think the CIA has a stranglehold on the cat house game? 
Probably. <laughs> they probably got a share on the acid market. <laughs> it was back in the 60s, dude. Oh, that's what they want you to you, do. Now you got Walter Whites and stuff making acid. <laughs> Your acid. high school chemistry teacher is probably making acid and fucking... And fucking? Probably. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's just some food for thought. You know, what the hell could be going on now? We'll probably never know or we'll probably know fucking 20 years from now about some crazy CIA shit. Our kids um, will do a podcast about it. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, guys. That's MK MKUltra. Um, and I want to cite for this one. Again, cannot recommend it enough. Check out the book, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate by John Marks. And also maps.org, The Plot to Turn on the World, The Leary Ginsburg Acid Conspiracy. There you have it, guys. MK Ultra. Thank you for tuning in, as always, Loyal Legion. Uh, you know the deal. If you want to hit us up, Podcast from Outer Space on Instagram. Uh, also, go check out our website, podcastfromouterspace.com. Got some mer- cool merch on there. And uh, you could hit us with a line. You know, maybe you want to hear something new, something exciting to you. Or maybe you think we'll like it too. You never know. And uh, with that. Yeah, and I want to give a quick shout out uh, to Ryan and Mike, both Loyal Legion listeners that have uh, requested some episodes. Uh, we're getting to them. I know we got October coming up, so we got um, so we got some exciting stuff we're getting to then. And then I promise we will get to these listener requests. Um, so thank you for listening, as always. And on that. Just wanted to shout out Jimmy Steele real quick and the crew down at Beale Racing. Check out their YouTube channel. I know they've been listening to us, so we appreciate your support. And on that, so long and thanks for all the fish, 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 fish. fish.